0: All hail King Jesus, that is quite a declaration to hail. It means to enthusiastically praise, it means to acclaim, it means to give great rave for. Why should he get that? What is it that sets him above all? Well tonight, 10 reasons why and one big scene to see. So we're going to go there now. So please grab a seat and we are thrilled you're here. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. If you're visiting with us, we are so honored that you are here with us tonight. And uh, we do think that it is a very big deal to make about Easter in a big, big way. And, um, To kind of understand where we're going to go from here, you need to understand a little bit of what's been taking place over the last month here. Um, Over the last month, we've been celebrating our 10-year anniversary. It was 10 years ago that a group of people uh, started in a theater and said, dear God, please show up. And uh, God has. And oh my, what God has done. What God has done. Uh, We have been talking about that theme of what God has done, and tonight we continue that theme here, Um, what God has done. I will tell you there really are no bigger events in all of redemptive history than the fact of this Jesus Christ, this one, rose from the dead. Um, This is kind of the pinnacle point of all of that. And um, as much as we might say this is a pinnacle point, Uh, Let's be real. That's one of the things we do here. And one of the things in being real about that is we have a tendency, even though we might say that, we have a tendency to see Jesus way too small. We have a tendency to see him way too small. And uh, I might say it this way. We kind of have a tendency to see him as some uh, uh, hooded spiritual dude. Uh, that kind of showed up one day, kind of like a Mr. Rogers, but in a very spiritual way. He uh, is kind of like this funkified, hippie-sandaled preacher guy. And um, he might be viewed as the great orator and irritator of his day. And and in many ways, we hold him high for all of those things. Um, And we might even hail him for it. But in it, do we really understand why the resurrection is so awesome. Do we really grab a hold of what's going on? Uh, This one that was nailed to the cross. Um, So he rose from the dead, very cool, props to him. What does that really look like now? Well, tonight we're gonna work on seeing him for who he is. So uh, how can we on this Easter weekend see Jesus for who he is? Well, we're gonna see him who he is today who he is today, because I think, friends, we need to shed the Jesus hoodied dude, and we need to see Christ as a risen, resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ as he is today, And uh, we're going to go to maybe a very unusual passage that you might think of on Easter. But if you really want to be able to see what does the resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ look like today, Revelation chapter 1 is a great place to go. So please open your Bibles there to Revelation chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, Revelation, uh, you probably know, is in the back of the Bible. So we're going to the last book of the Bible. We're in the first chapter of that. Now, three years ago, and one of the things we've been doing over this last month is we've kind of been going back and celebrating and revisiting some sermon texts that we've had out of God's word over the last 10 years. This is one of them. It was three years ago. uh, As a church family, we went on a journey through the book of Revelation, and what a trip it was. What a trip it was. And uh, it is still impacting me to this day, and I mean that seriously. Uh, in it, it was kind of cracking open the door into the heavenly throne room to be able to see what is going on. And we kind of had it where, uh, as we worked it out, it was broken into three parts. See Jesus, see the war, see the victory. See Jesus, see the war, see the victory. And I want to just, when people hear the book of Revelation, they oftentimes think freaky. And, uh, I want to say this. The book of Revelation is not first and foremost a book about a future timeline. Let me say that again. The book of Revelation is not first and foremost about a future timeline. The book of Revelation is first and foremost about revealing the one of time. The book of Revelation is first and foremost about revealing the one that we just said, all hail, who holds time in his hand. So here's a goal for us today, and it's pretty simple. Um, I have really one sermon main point, and it's already on your sermon notes page if you have that open, and it's this, see Jesus bigger. This this Easter, it's just time to see Jesus bigger. It's time to kind of leave the little fairy tale Jesus, it's time to leave the Jesus in a genie bottle. It's time to uh, leave those things and see the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ as he is today, and that is the one that we hail. That is the one that we hail. So here we go, Revelation chapter 1, buckle up, see Jesus bigger, Uh, let me ask God for his help as we do this. Lord, we pray that as we look into this amazing chapter that just declares who the risen Christ is. That you would just be here and you would help us to understand you and your son, Jesus Christ, better. God, just open our hearts, open our eyes, all the activities of the weekend. God, may we just set them aside. We're here right now. We're here at your feet. All hail King Jesus. So we do that now. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, when you step into the book of Revelation, you need to remember that there's a whole big meta-narrative, a whole big story of 65 books that lead into the 66th book of the Bible here. And I could summarize it this way. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created everything. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is actually the agent of the Godhead in creation. He is the one who created all things. Genesis 3, sin enters the picture, Uh, yet in Genesis 3, right right when sin enters the picture, we are told that God is going to uh, deal a lethal blow, that there would be one that would come of the woman that would be dealt a bruise by Satan, the cross, but there would be a lethal blow that would be laid on Satan himself, uh, the resurrection. And, and uh, then we, we jump all the way into the New Testament. We'll go to Mark chapter 1 and bam, it's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, his boots on the ground. And then we go to Mark chapter 15 and Jesus is crucified. There he is bearing sin's payment. Uh, for sin. And then Mark chapter 16, bam, Jesus walks out of the tomb, and the lethal blow of Genesis 3 has been laid out. And then you could go to Acts chapter 1, the ascension, Jesus Christ resurrected, and he ascends, and he says in that that he will return. I could say it this way, the Old Testament gave us information about the coming Christ. The New Testament gospels let us see the incarnate Christ, The epistles in the New Testament give us more information about the Christ that came, uh, and then revelation comes up. And revelation is so unique because it shows us the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, frankly, unlike we've seen him anywhere in the whole Bible. And that's why today I want to go there. And that's why we're parking it there. And know this, Jesus was not some above-average prophet. He was not just some morality figure. He was not a bedtime story. He's not a hippie sandaled preacher dude. Uh, He is one that is far, far bigger. And let's go see why and let's see him now. Bible's Revelation 1. You there? We're big about the Bible around here. You don't want to hear what I have to say. We want to hear what God's word has to say. So that's where we're at. Revelation chapter 1. Let me start. Let me actually read the first three verses of Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it The time is near. Well, Let's work this out here a little bit. Uh, Ten things to know about Christ. Ten data points to know about Christ. And the first one comes out of verse one. He is the source. Know this: He is the source of the book. Not only is that the revelation of Christ. It means that He is the source. It also means that. Secondly, He is the subject of the book of Revelation. He is the source of the book. He is the subject of the book on its whole. He is the ultimate subject of it all. It reveals, it unveils, I could say it this way, it ta Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The book of Revelation does. Uh, In it, we're about to see Jesus in a way that we really haven't seen him in the rest of the New Testament. And frankly, we get stuck on seeing him as a gospel Jesus, not as the Revelation 1 Jesus as we're gonna let unfold here. Uh, by the way, note in verses 1 through 3 that this special revelation that is given is his. Note that uh, the servants are his. Note that the angel is his. Note that John the doulos, the bond servant, is his. It's all his. I mean, you start out the book and he's like, I am the source and I am the subject of the book. And by the way, it's all mine. So don't mess with my stuff. He's laying it right out on the table for it. And then verse 3, I love this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the letter. I like that, because I'm reading it out tonight. Uh, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the letter. By the way, that means that this was expected to be read to people in the churches. This is not just some funkified book that's only for, like, brainiac people off in a corner somewhere uh, that want to draw funky pictures. This is a book intended for God's people in the churches to be able to understand and hear. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Secondly, blessed are the ones who hear it. (laughs) Yeah, take it, man. Uh, Blessed is the one who hears it. Uh, Third, this is really important. Blessed is also the one who keeps it. What does that mean? That means that the book of Revelation, when we went through it and we talked about this, the book of Revelation is always so funkified and like, woo and all this kind of stuff in it. But the number three part of it here is telling us that the book of Revelation is to be something that changes how we live. If we're to keep this, our lives are to look differently as a result of it. We're not just to walk away and be about a timeline of things. We're to walk away changed people for being in this book. And the book of Revelation is about that. Let's keep reading. Let's pick up verse four. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. By the way, this is John who is writing this down. Uh, John, this is John the Apostle, not John the Baptizer. This is John the Apostle. Remember, this is really important here because this is the John that spent like three years with Jesus face to face, okay? He walked with him and he talked with him and you know the song and, and, and that, and he did all that. He laughed with him, he interacted with him, he scratched his head with him, he like denied him. In the whole thing. This is the one who saw Jesus. That's got to cause us to be able to go. I wonder how he sees Jesus now in Revelation 1. This is the very one when we see his response. You have to remember, he was with the incarnate Christ for three years. Also, I'll just note, verses 4 and 5 get a Trinitarian account of the Godhead. It says, grace to you and peace from him, talking about God the Father, it's interesting also that John uses time terminology to de- to to help describe eternity. I mean, how do you describe eternity? You use time terminology. Uh, I was, I am, uh, I is to come. And he's using this terminology to try and help us understand the Godhead. And here it's God the Father. And then in it, it's from the seven spirits who are before the throne. I just don't have the time to take for it. But that's a term that's used in the scriptures referencing the Holy Spirit. So we have God the Father, we have God the Spirit, and we have Jesus Christ. So a couple more things here to know about the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. Number one, he is the source. Number two, he is the subject. Number three, he is the faithful witness. By the way, there are many witnesses, but there is only one witness that is ultimately and absolutely dependable. There is only one witness that everything he says you can bank on. By the way, that's really important here at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. This book that everybody talks about, how so funkified it is. And here in it, he's already telling you, listen, uh, I am the one that is the source and subject behind it, and what I say, you can bank on it. It says that Jesus Christ is going to be coming back one day. Ha! That's a joke. Where is he, man? No, know this. The faithful one said that. We live in a day and age where lies abound. We live in a day and age where liars abound. We live in a day and age where people get it wrong, even if they want to try and get it right in remembering things. But know this this is the one, the source and the subject behind the book of Revelation. He is the faithful witness. And everything he says can be trusted 100%, no questions asked. And he puts it right out in the beginning. He is the faithful witness. Number four, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, he is the premier one resurrected from the dead firstborn of the dead. Many will be born out of his death and resurrection. I love the way Patterson says this. He says, uh, death is the tyrant that threatens all creation with irreparable irreplaceable loss and ultimate meaningless but the one Jesus Christ who brings this prophecy has dealt with death and has rendered death helpless by becoming the firstborn from the dead I love this last statement he is the first to be born out of the matrix of the penalty of sin he is the first to be born out of the matrix of the penalty of sin all hail King Jesus number five Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth. He is absolutely sovereign over the affairs of the world. You might be sitting here tonight and going, this world is like a mess. Have you kind of noticed the mess that this world's in? Know this, he's got it. And everything is moving somewhere. And even on days when I scratch my head and go, what in God's name is going on? His name says, I got it. That's reassuring, because it's a zoo. By the way, I might even just note here, the ruler of the kings on earth. Jesus as the incarnate Christ didn't quite look like that. In fact, he was the one that they sentenced to death on a cross by the rulers. But actually here, it's saying that he is the king of the rulers. This is something that is bringing in and showing us the fullness of the magnitude, not only of the incarnate Christ and the humility as what he did to go to the death on the cross to provide the opportunity for salvation through his work, But he is the one who ultimately is the king of kings. Five things to know about Christ so far. He is the source. He is the subject. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. And Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth. Verse five. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, verse 6, and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Five more things. Number one in verse five, he loves us. By the way, I need to note this. It doesn't say he puts up with us. It doesn't say that he's stuck with us. It doesn't say he's bearing with us losers. It says he loves you. And I have no idea where maybe you're at in your life tonight. But you need to walk out of here knowing one thing. And that's that he loves you. No, Doug, he can't love me. No, he loves you. Remember, he's the faithful witness. No, and I want for you to know this. He loves you. Oh, but Doug, you have no idea what I have done in my, my life. It doesn't matter because he loves you. And I just want to make sure this section knows too. He loves you. He loves you. Also in verse five, he freed us. Those in Christ, he freed from our sins by his blood. That would really be a great place for an amen, so let's try that one more time. He freed us. Those who are in Christ know this, that you have been freed from the consequence of your sins. Number eight, he made us. By the way, note what he made us. He made us a kingdom of priests of the fathers. By the way, God's people are not a club, it's not a commune, it's not ticket holders. It, it's, it's part of kingdom of priests to the fathers. By the way, uh, those who've been here through a series that we've been going through in Exodus uh, 19, there God's people are at the foot of Mount Sinai and God says, I have a plan for you. I'm gonna send you into a place and it's a sending-based place. It's not a vacation place. It's a sending-based place and there you are to be priests of the world. And here we see it coming back into the revelation later in time that God's people are to be a kingdom of priests to the Father. Number nine, he is eternal. I am, the alpha, I am the Alpha and Omega, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. And number 10, he says, He is coming. He is coming. The lion, the lamb is coming. Jesus Christ is the source, he is the subject. He is the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the king of kings. And he loves you and has freed those in Christ and made us a kingdom of priests and he is eternal and he is coming. By the way, all hail King Jesus. Those are 10 tremendous pieces of data to know. How do you respond to that? I would suggest to verse six, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. It's like to him be uh, glory and dominion forever, yes. This is kind of the idea out of it. It's face down, all hail King Jesus. This is not just some religious concept. This is reality, friends. And all hail King Jesus in this. Now, I want to say this. All that data is marvelous. All that data is awesome. It is awesome to know. It is awesome to know data. But I'll say this. Knowing data about something... Or someone is not the same as seeing something or someone. So it's time to move from data to encountering. All of these things have been laid out, and now it's time to see the one that these 10 data pieces are there for us to hold in our minds. So let's go see him. Here we go. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner. That's really cool, by the way. You know, not someone so far off that's unrelatable, not someone that's like, you know, this saint that we pray to or we worship or we think we could never be. No, John himself, the apostle. John is, hey, I'm your bro. And in this, we're in this together, man. I love that. And partner in the tribulation, not talking about the end time tribulation, but in the tribulation of the reality of life with Christ. And the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So much for the prosperity gospel. You believe Jesus and everything will be wonderful. I mean, he's in writing this and all this is occurring out of a time where he's getting trashed for following Christ. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. That's interesting. Whose voice is like a trumpet? Saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And here they are, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches that are talked about in chapters two and three. And then he says, and then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw. Hold there. I saw. Let's just get the idea. We've had this, uh, these things to know about the Lord laid out, and then John here is now telling about this encounter, this experience that he's had, and he's writing it down. He's saying, I, John, and I was in, and I heard, and I turned, and I saw uh, by the way, let me remind you again, John is one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles. He's one of, really out of the 12 apostles, one of kind of the inner three of the apostles that got to experience some things with Christ, unlike, even like the others. He was with Jesus for three years. Don't forget that. And here's the scene we're about to see. Verse 12. Then I turn to see the voice. No one turns to see, like, movement wavelings through the air. You're, you're turning to see the source of the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw. I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the Lamb stands one like a son of man. By the way, that's not so much the idea of birth of man idea. It's a Daniel term. It's a title that's going on. I saw one uh, like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs on his head were white. I like that. Like white wool, like snow, and his eyes, his eyes, his eyes, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and, and, and his feet, they were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice, his voice, his voice, his, his, how do I describe it? His voice was like the roar of many waters. Oh, and in his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, you know, with computer graphics. Now, can't you imagine this? By the way, you should be imagining this. This whole thing is written in the kind of way it is for us to be able to see. And in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. John sees three items here. He sees seven golden lampstands. How many? And what color are they? They're made out of gold. Uh, uh, Then he sees one like a son of man, as I mentioned. That's an Old Testament term. It's a title referencing the Messiah, the one that would come, the Messiah. And then the third thing is is he makes reference to seven stars. It's important to note that in the whole scene, the whole scene centers on the Son of Man, this one that he's referencing. And John describes what he sees in here. Let's just go back and recollect these. Verse 13, he sees the Son of Man and he sees them in a location. He sees them in the midst of, he sees them in the center of the seven lampstands. By the way, are you picturing it? Because you should be. You know, God could have just written this as information and bullet points for us. That's the way we Americans do things. You know, just like, cut to the chase, man, cut to the chase, And in here we have this narrative that's helping us to see and behold and feel. Okay, That's what we're trying to do here and grab a hold of. So he's in the midst of the seven lampstands and he's clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Friends, that is the picture of an Old Testament priest. There's this priestly figure in the midst of these seven lampstands. Then verse 14, the hairs on his head were white. I said I like that, but I want to notice this. They're like Something they aren't something they are like something. I mean, how, how how do you describe the hair? And he's like, you can almost hear him as you read this. He's like, like, like how do I, I know? Like a white wool, like snow. Because I mean, they had tons of snow in Israel. <laughs> but in this, he's like thinking this through. What what, what what would this be? And he's like, snow, like in the mountains, where where that happens. I mean, it's it, it's not gray white. It's like white white. Who cares what color it is? Well, John wanted us to know, right? And his eyes, his eyes, his eyes, by the way, they were not a flame of fire, but they were like a flame of fire. By the way, the life of a person is in their eyes. Have you ever been sitting with someone, talking with someone, and it's like their eyes are there, but in all reality, they're rolled back and they are not there? You know what I'm talking about you, you know sometimes it's even like you're at church and you know guys like me are up here and you're like my eyes are pointed that way but I am telling you I am at the basketball game right now, <laughs> now I know that look and I've lived that look <laughs> but his eyes his eyes, his eyes his eyes were like a flame of fire it's it's, it's this idea in, in this whole thing that his eyes were not normalized I mean, and I don't think this is like in a movie like, you know, in Star Wars or something where you look his eyes and like, <laughs> I don't think so much as that because John would be dead right now. But John is noticing something about his eyes because life is in the eyes and there is something in those eyes that, oh my, oh my, this is like a flame of fire, man. And his feet, his feet were like burnished bronze. We don't really understand this a whole lot, but, but they weren't burnished bronze, but they were like that. I think this, there, there's things in the Old Testament and so forth with it, but uh, burnished bronze, it just has this idea, I think, of just stayed. They are standing strong in place. And they're like immovable. Like you don't go up and go, ding, and tip them over. I mean, it's like he's got his feet in a place and strong. And then his voice. Oh, I wish I had a voice like this. I got this airy, wimpy voice. And how do you describe this voice? It's like water. You know, water in a creek? No, it's not like that. No, his voice wasn't like that. No, it's like a river. If you've ever been to the Colorado River, I remember once we were camping in the Colorado River, we had a pop up tent, so all night you could hear the river out back. It was awesome but it was soothing. But that was just one river. It wasn't just a river, it, it's many rivers. It's the idea that when he spoke, it was just like, oh, awesomeness when he spoke. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. I, I, I don't know. Is it... I don't know. I don't think these are like those, you know, you know those like metal balls you can put in your hand when you're stressed out and you're just rolling? Uh, that's not what's going on. It's just, he's holding something. Okay, I'm just going to leave that. And then his mouth, his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Scripture talks about that whole idea. It's like when he spoke, it pierced. You know, as humans, sometimes we just play this manipulative game. It's hard to understand what's going on. Like, what do you really mean by that? And in his, I might say, it's kind of like this whole idea of like, hey, when he says he loves you, he means it. It is a sharp two-edged sword that can cut through all the baloney. And when he speaks, whew, it's sharp, man. And then his face... His face is like the sun. No, 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 that's not good enough description. His face is like the sun shining. No, 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 that's not even good enough. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. You know when the sun rises, my office is over here, and I can see where the sun rise over the trees by the neighbors there, and when it comes up, sometimes I just get to sit there and go, this is really awesome. And you just look at the sun. No, but it's not that time of the day. You know sometimes how when the sun sets and you can just sit out in your yard or somewhere and you look and you just go, and you just, you just get enthralled with the sun as it's setting over. No, it's not that sun. It's the sun when it's straight up in the air and it's at full blast and you look at it and you feel like your eyes are about to melt. There's faces like that. Pastor Doug, what do they all mean? Tell us all the symbolism. Isn't it interesting how we so quickly go to want and know data? You know, especially in our culture. We live in a culture nowadays that is all about data knowledge. It's all about jeopardy knowledge. It's all about being able to fill in the blank. Smart people can fill in the blanks. I was never classified as a smart person taking tests. You know, I was a guy I would cram and, you know, like, vomit it out on the test, and then two hours later... academia and me have had a rough go. But it's interesting how we just want to go to the data. But I'll just say this, is it even really necessary to know what even if there are symbolisms for these? I actually suggest the whole point of the beginning of the book of Revelation is that John is describing someone that you're gonna get a load of in the rest of the book. And just behold him. And, friends, I submit to you that what John is seeing is far different than a hoodied, sandaled preacher dude walking around and people in awe of him. This is something altogether different. This is something to hail. This is someone to hail. Question. Is this Jesus? The Jesus that you see? I mean this seriously. Is this Jesus? The Jesus that you picture? Or are you stuck in seeing Jesus as this kind of preacher dude? as this kind of orator and irritator of his day. Uh, I would even say this, are you stuck in seeing Jesus just as the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts chapter one, Jesus? Listen, I, I thank Jesus, I thank our God for the incarnate Christ that has come, to die on the cross. But I wanna tell you what, friends, If we're stuck in seeing Christ as just that, we're not seeing the whole Jesus. I can say it this way, you're stuck in the past. Because the present Jesus is that. He is the source, he is the subject, he is the faithful witness, he is the firstborn of the dead. He is the king of kings and he loves you in me. This one loves you in me. And for those in Christ, he has freed you from your sin and he has made you part of his eternal kingdom. And he is coming. And that is something to celebrate. Uh, I would say this with that. What if you and I saw Jesus this way every day? I would submit that your and my life would look differently. If we were beholding this in the reality of it, let me say it this way, that's why the resurrection matters. Because this is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. And and this is the one that we should be seeing every day, all the time. And just being very transparent with you. If I saw him this way every day of every moment, my life would look increasingly different than it is. But I struggle to see him like this. I think the fact of the matter is is that we kind of love to box him in just enough size that we can kind of hail him as God, but not big enough that we are awed by him to the extent that we should be. Well, let's finish with some of the final verses here. By the way, we were told some things, we just saw some things, now it's time to see their reaction. I love this part. What John did, verse 17. When I saw him, remember, John of the Gospels, the one that was with Jesus, for three years, saw him there, I would be thinking, this is the time he'd be running up going, bro, high five, man, chest butt, poof, Got right? What happens? That John that saw Christ, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why? Might it because be because John all of a sudden beheld the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ and was like, "Oh, my." I had no idea. I thought I knew, but I really didn't know. Oh, my God." I'm curious what Jesus would do right now. Oh, this is so cool. It tells us. When I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead, but he took his right hand and smacked me upside the head. <laughs> Does your Bible say that? Well, why do, we, why, do we, why do we picture that that's probably what he would do? I think, seriously, I think we oftentimes think, that, think that's what he would do. You know, like, man, I'm so tired of you, John. I mean, by the way, the whole thing, he didn't get squat while I was with you, buddy. In fact, I, I deserve you like 10 of these. Watch this. But he laid his right hand. By the way, the right hand, sorry lefties, nothing against you. But the right hand in that day was the hand of authority, was the hand of power. That was the hand that was placed on people, meaning something. And he put that hand on him. And he said, fear not. Hey friends, that is like the coolest idea, reality ever. Because that statement right there is telling us that this one that he just saw with all the the, the, that one that that one, that he fell down, think he's going to die because he's before God and he knows who he is and his smallness in that and he falls though as though dead and the Lord knows exactly what John's thinking and feeling right at that moment. And, and he reaches out his right hand and he tells him, John, fear not. Well, I think we would all be like, dude, are you kidding me? I mean, like with everything, I just, anyone should be afraid right now. But but he loves you. The Lord did not come and the Lord does not exist to seek to crush. He has come and he seeks to redeem. John, fear not. I am the first and the last. That is an eternal statement. And the living one happy Easter. I am the resurrected one. Look at it. In fact, he clarifies it. I'm the one that died. Yep, You got the right guy. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now you got to get this. This is so cool because John saw him on the cross dead and John saw him post the cross resurrected and Jesus is helping John to understand, Hey John, I'm that guy. You know John, the one you saw dead? You know the one John saw, the one risen from the dead? John, I am that guy. Oh, the Lord is so sweet. And I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Verse 19, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Doug, talk about all that stuff. No. (laughs) Those just get off the center. And on this Easter, let's stay on the one that rose from the dead. Friends, I declare to you, Revelation chapter 1, I impart to you, Revelation chapter 1, this is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, and this is why we make a big deal. If you have the view that Jesus is this, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Frankly, I think Revelation one blows it up whatever it is because it's far bigger. All hail King Jesus. So Pastor Doug, what do we do with this? What are the three application points we take home? I want to say to my church family, you know what I'm talking about. Martha, Martha, Martha. (laughs) Martha, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Sit down and be with me. Seriously, pastor, that's the only application you're gonna give us? Yep. No go get busy application points tonight. I'll just finish with this, two questions. Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? I just wanna say there's a vast difference in fact, uh, uh, James, uh, James chapter 2 talks about how even the demons know who he is. And knowing about Christ is not what Christ is ultimately looking for. The information is there to draw us to, to see him and understand ourselves and to understand him. And the invitation that scripture gives is all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If I can, out of Revelation chapter one, it's kind of like John falling before him as though dead. As though dead and guilty of sin. And yet he is the one who will take his right hand and who has paid the price. If you just know about Christ, but you don't know what relationship with Christ is, I just simply will say this. You need to talk with someone. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to show you what God's word has to say because knowing about is not what the answer is. It is relationship with. And you are invited by this one to enter into relationship with him, by him, for him. If Jesus was a putt. What's the attraction? But friends, this is Him. And I'm telling you, that attracts me. And those of you who know Christ as your Savior, I want to implore that we work and help each other in seeing Him bigger. All hail, King Jesus. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to step away. And we're gonna have the worship team come, and they are going to lead us not in a song, not even in two songs, but like three songs. You know, you know and, and here's the reason why, because uh, you go and you keep going in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter one, you see this big Jesus, ooh, kind of Jesus, It's like, oh my word, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then you go to chapter five, and and all of the heavens, all of the, 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 the four creatures around the throne, the 24 Presbyteros, what do they do to show their awe of Christ? They fall down and they worship and they sing. Oh, and then Revelation 5 goes on, and it says, and then myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands gather in. And what do they do? They, they go out and do application points. No, they, they, they sing unto the Lord and declare what they see and what they know. Oh, and it doesn't stop there, because at the end of Revelation chapter 5, then all of heaven, all of earth, everything sings unto the Lord. So I think a fitting and proper response to all this, let's sing. Worship team, would you come and let's go. So God, right now, we are about to sing. And God, we are gonna sing from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes. And yes, we're gonna make a deal about it. We're gonna make it big because you are that. God, I I pray for anyone in here in this room who's maybe used to small singing. Um, God, it's okay because you adore it. Those around the throne, the, those of uh, the angels and the myriads and the myriads and the thousands and thousands and, and, and all of creation, uh, uh, God, they, they just they just don't sing in, 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 in little words, in little tones, in little minor ways. With, with the best that they might be able to do, they lay it on the table, and you are glorified by it, and it is a sweet fragrance unto you. So God, accept what we sing, I pray in your name. Amen.